Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it has broadcast continuously for over 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show is also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival of which I am the founder and director along with the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which premiere in New York City every October and then travel the USA and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. Go to dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com to find out when we'll be where. I am getting to meet, and therefore you will meet through me, an extraordinary woman. I met her through Dr. Doug Mater, who a lot of you now know is my co-host on Exotic pets and a great luminary in his field. Well, it turns out that a great luminary in his life is an extraordinary vet who is uh, attached, as she has been to many amazing companies, to the company that is coming out with this longevity drug. But her own accomplishments throughout her life are pretty amazing. Dr. Doctor, she's a double doctor. I love that. Dr. Doctor, Linda Rhodes, it is so great to meet you. And to learn about this extraordinary arc of your profession and your career and your accomplishments, and you're so humble about it. It's amazing. (laughs) Aren't there moments where you think, I'm great? I mean, there must be moments where you think, God, I'm amazing. Do you ever think that? Oh, gosh. I, uh, no, often I think the opposite of, you know, there's there's so much more that I wish I had done or want to do in the future. But no, thanks so much for having me. It's really a delight to be it's here. It's a pleasure because you get your doctor of veterinary medicine at University of Pennsylvania. Then you get your PhD at Cornell University. Pretty impressive places. But to my mind, more extraordinary is the number of companies you've worked with and then been on the board of Marielle, no, sorry, Merck, I think Marielle also, but I could have that wrong, Zoetis, a lot of incredible companies. And you started, did you, you started a biotech company that was acquired by another one, developing drugs for animals, both companion animals and large animals and farm animals. And 
CEO of other companies that then got sold. It's amazing. I mean, you could be 111 years old and not have accomplished this much. <laughs> and then you found something that I think is so cool, a, a nonprofit called Feather in Her Cap that recognizes the achievement of women in the animal health industry, which I guess there isn't enough recognition of, or for you either, in my opinion. So there you were, a veterinary student way back when, and you happened to mention in passing in an email, oh, there was that sabbatical in Israel where we attempted embryo, embryo transfer on camels. And I thought, oh, come on, this is so cool. So can you just talk about that for a minute? It has nothing to do with longevity in dogs and cats or the other great drugs you were directly involved in creating like Galloprant. So what about embryo transfer on camels? What's up with that? Sure, Tracy. That was a, one of the most fun parts of my early career. I had been a, a large animal uh, veterinarian in Utah taking care of mainly dairy cows. Um, and after about five years, I got pretty tired of the routine of it. Plus the, you know, we used to say it's it's 95% boredom, 5% um, frantic emergency. Yes, yes. Um, lots, of, lots of outdoor work, lot, you know, just a really challenging uh, profession. Very. And I came back east to, to uh, reconnect with some of my family. I was just looking around for something interesting to do. And I uh, met a, a charming young man from Israel, and we fell in love, and we, if things got to be very serious. And he, uh, he said, you know, why don't you meet my family? And I had never been to Israel. I did not know anything about Israel. Right. But I wrote um, letters to all of the Israeli universities saying, I'd like to come and do a sabbatical. And lo and behold, one took me up on it um, in uh, Beersheba in the south. And they, they sent me a note saying they were working on a project doing embryo transfer for camels and Nawasi sheep. Wow. And I just happened to be very good at embryo transfer from my cattle days. So um, there I went. I got on a plane and I went to Ben Gurion University in Beersheba, and I they had a bunch of camels and a wasi sheep. And oh there you my go. God! That's how I got involved. <laughs> I mean, to the rest of us, this is at least certainly to me beyond exotic. Doctor Doug and I have done a couple of episodes talking about what it takes to become a vet, and then once you're in vet school, and when you come out, the the variety of things that are open to you, other than just going into a clinic every day, or in your case, being out in a field, you know, with your arm up the backside of a cow or maybe a horse. It's kind of great that it was, I guess, up the backside of a camel. I mean, what exotic – talk about embryo transfers. So why does that happen? Because I'm guessing this, okay, that there's an incredibly prized camel who's beloved and a genius as a camel. And so you want to take embryos from that camel and put them in other camels so there's lots of little camels that resemble the great one? Is that why you do embryo transfer? That is, exact, that, that, that is exactly right. I'll be darned. And there was very little known about uh, reproduction in camels, strangely enough. Uh, there was a, the Bedouin tribes have very prized racing yes, camels that yes. they treasure, just like people in other parts of the world race uh, horses. Um, and that's exactly right. They wanted to be able to reproduce their prized camels and have more little prized camels. Oh, my. I was just guessing. I thought you were going to say to me, oh, don't be ridiculous. That is so cool. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful that you have been able to do that on the one side. Talk about hands-on. That is literally hands-on. But then you've developed drugs or new drugs, really. That's been your career, is looking for new drugs that can make a difference. And 
I wonder what it is in the personality or the brain wiring of someone who sets out to be a vet and then gets a doctorate on top of it. And is it because you like to push forward boundaries of the unknown or because chemistry is what interests you? Because you've done it on such a high level, created your own companies, they went public, they got bought, and you're on the board of directors of really famous companies, not the least of which is Loyal, and I'll be talking to the CEO of that company next week about the longevity drug that, you know, is the front page of all the lay press, not just the industry press. What is it that makes that makes that the thing you're so good at and want to always be better at? Well, that's a that's a great question. I think I think it's hard to go do the jump from dairy practice to drug development. It was a long, kind of complicated road, but it wasn't initially planned. I didn't think, oh, I want to develop drugs for animals. I I went into research. I got very involved in understanding, you know, bench research and reproduction. Um, and frankly, the only job that I could get after my PhD, which seems crazy that I have a vet degree and a PhD and I couldn't find a job, yeah. but I just didn't fit into the academic world. So the only job that really kind of took on all my uh, expertise was the pharmaceutical industry where they needed somebody who really understood animal physiology because they do a lot of testing in, in animals and they try to figure out how drugs work when they initially developed them in, in mice and rats. They needed somebody who knew oh, you know, the practicality of actually using drugs in the real world and what that would look like and what the value of those drugs were. And it just was a it was just an excellent fit for my my skill set. And I started out on the human health side. So I did eight years at Merck on the human health side, which is really where there's no degree in drug development. So that's where I learned drug development is working in a pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and then I really got tired of the human health world and said, I want to use my vet degree. And if I've got all this expertise, why not use it to help animals? Um, so I, I transferred into Marielle, which was the newly created company that Merck and uh, Roan Mariu put together as a joint venture back in the early 90s. And um, there you go. I was I was started out developing drugs for cattle because my veterinary background was mainly in, in cattle. That's so amazing. Now, Marielle, it's, you know, to those of us that are, you know, maybe newer to the field than than you, I thought, well, Marielle's been around forever, like Bayer Animal Health's been around since, you know, like 1872 or something. So Marielle was, was created only in 1990 by Merck. Was Marielle the company that pivoted on a dime and about, I'm going to say 10 years ago, developed a vaccine against a deadly flu that was killing dogs? Weren't they the company that just suddenly developed it? With people you like know, yourself, I can't remember who de who developed the canine flu vaccine. I, I, I did not work generally on the vaccine side of the company, right. but yeah, Marielle was was most of the large human uh, pharmaceutical companies had animal health subsidiaries. There, oh, there see. weren't many standalone animal health companies, and Merck had a group called Merck AgVet that was. Um, Actually, they were really famous for developing ivermectin, which was the, the most effective anti-parasite drug pretty much ever discovered. And yes. that was discovered at, at Merck. And so Merck AgVet developed that initially for cattle and swine and, um, and then eventually for dogs. It became the very first heartworm um, drug available. And then Roan Mariu, who's a vaccine manufacturer, 
Tamed Americans said, we'd like to spin off the animal health parts of our biz- business and create a new company called Marielle. Um, so they, they, they were big on the vaccine part. Merck was vac- big on the drug part. Uh, and together, it made a great, um, a great company that was able to really move forward research in animal health in a way that they hadn't really been able to do as much when they were internal to, um, to the big mother Merck. That's I love that big mother Merck. This is so fascinating. The rest of us don't understand that big pharma isn't a bad thing. Big pharma being big companies with a lot of brilliant people in them and some money to develop new drugs is something we should all be really grateful for. It's it's extraordinary how new that development of drugs drugs and or vaccines, I guess you look at them quite differently, which I hadn't thought of, yeah. is for animals. Yeah. And I wonder if it's as people's relationship with their pets in particular has become such a stronger bond and so demanding of, of higher quality veterinary intervention. I wonder if that is part of what puts some wind in those sails. I mean, who would know? But it's it's really kind of wonderful to think that somebody or terrible, that somebody with those skills was welcomed into the human pharma world and the animal pharma world sort of didn't quite exist or even respect or understand your value. Is that one of the reasons that you founded your nonprofit, Feather and Her Cap? Is there a feeling at these high echelon, the high, high shelf of drug development or drug-related pharma companies that women are less valued well, I think things have changed a lot in the last 10 years, but 20 years ago, when I started my career, um, animal health was very male-dominated, um, and you know, I think it really came out of the fact that the first animal drugs developed were for production animals. They were, they were for the farmers, and there was kind of a cowboy, yes. good old boy culture mm-hmm. in these companies because they were mainly marketing to, to farmers who at that point were mainly men. Yeah. And their veterinary customers were mainly men. There were very few women in veterinary medicine 20, 25 years ago. This recent change of, of the profession has become feminized has only happened in the last 25 years or so. And when I was in vet school, most of the vet schools only admitted you know, less than 10% of their class is women. Wow. There were no women deans in any of the veterinary schools. Um, and it was a really male-dominated profession. So the animal health companies reflected that yes. back in those days. And they were, they, all the senior executives were men. Um, and there really, there really wasn't a pet therapeutics world. It was all about production animals. But you know what I think changed things is in the late 90s, um, Bayer came out with the very first effective drug for fleas and ticks called imiclopred. It was a, called the brand name was Advantage. Correct. And then very soon after that, um, Marielle came out with Fipronil, yes, which was um, Frontline. And these were two products that were extremely effective against fleas and ticks. And guess what that did? That allowed those pets to come in the house and be on the bed. Interesting. And prior to that. People didn't, you know, these animals had fleas, and it was really hard to get rid of fleas. That's you know, they a were fascinating and... point, socially. Yeah, so they, so there was a big transition 
in the early 2000s, which was not that long ago when you think about it, that suddenly pets would be be started to become, they weren't in the, the dogs were not in the doghouse anymore. They were then the main house. And so the pets became more part of your family. Um, And, and that was really when the tide began to turn that pets became a big market for animal therapeutics. Wow, you have you know I think what's most marvelous about your the arc of your career and your profession which you're still, you know, theoretically you're retired but you're on all these boards who wouldn't want you for heaven's sake. But that you see that long view and that there's no bitterness or anger that you sent me a picture of yourself as a cow vet if you will, lady cow vet, which is the name of of the book you've been working on your memoirs. And there you are with a farmer and now I realize it was lonely for you. It was really lonely, <laughs> and you probably had to doubly prove yourself out in the muck and the mud and the cold in Utah or the heat, depending on the time of year, yeah. that you could do the job. I think I think your career is a, a great a great uh, bellwether for other women to to look back and think it's not that long ago that there were very few of you and you were not embraced and welcomed no matter how gifted you were so thanks for sticking with it thanks for coming back to the animal side (laughs) dr dr Rhodes, and and being there for animals and continuing to push forward ideas and boundaries about the good we can do for the animals who live with us or live still outside in pens and because I don't think the cows are ever coming indoors, which is probably all to the good. That's probably a good thing. It is. I'm really looking (laughs) forward to you finishing your book and it coming out and having you back on to talk about it because I'm sure there are many, many tales to be told in amongst all this very serious science, which I, I admire and appreciate very much. Thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the show. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dry food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaraner or Maisie will eat. The show is also brought to you in part by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients to gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. My dogs love it every single day.